Welcome back, everybody. This is a podcast in a car. And so I'm uh, driving back uh, from the bustling Salisbury office. I just passed Lazy 5 again and uh, saw the baby llamas, and I had to stop. Pulled out the equipment, and I, I decided I'd just kind of uh, go on to another subject that people are very interested in. I hear it a lot in my practice, and it's, it's definitely worth talking about. And that is, um, I guess, how to be prepared, you know, how to be organized to tell a tale. When you come into the office, you know we have a limited amount of time. And, well, and quite honestly, you do too. And I, I sincerely hope you haven't been waiting in the waiting room forever and feel somewhat uh, shunned if the doc uh, or the provider comes in and says hey how you doing i see everything looks good and walks out and you think what what i didn't have a chance to say anything i i mean i i had some things to say and man i I don't know what's going on with me i know i heard i heard here i heard over there and i i had some questions and i didn't get any time that's one of the most common complaints we get in the office uh he didn't spend any time with me well uh, okay, let me give you a little background. First of all, the practice of medicine is all about details. It's about records. It's about understanding the background of the individual and understanding where you're going to head, not now, but uh, benchmarks. And I'll talk about that in a second. Specifically, we have an obligation to do a few things. And we have to do it uh, and be very organized about it because it's going into the medical record, which is a legal document. And it is a story. Uh, most folks don't realize that the medical record has taken a real assault the past few years. Um, although it sounds very romantic that electronic medical records talk to each other and they go back and forth and we can get a lot of data very quickly. But in fact, that's not true. Um, the HL7 interface of your and um, a lot of the interfaces and and talk-to habits of electronic medical records just never minced up. And so we have to get medical records. If we have some medical records through either referral or we know of uh, some of the brief history that's obtained um, through the nursing staff or the intake staff, well, that's a help. But that's not an image. Um, That's not something historical that makes a difference. That's certainly not a family history, um, surgical history, allergies. You know, it, seriously. I mean, there's sub um, there's subcategories to these topics. And like, for example, just allergies. Well, to what? Well, I'm allergic to morphine. Well, what happened? See this question line. Okay, it, it you know there's there's a story here. Well, I got this stuff in the hospital, and I got nauseous, and I itched. That's not an allergy. That's a side effect, because morphine, as many opioids do, cause a histamine release. Histamine is like hay fever, you know? You itch, you get watery eyes. It may cause a little streak when it goes in the vein. That's not an allergy. Uh, It's extraordinarily remote that I will find somebody with a true allergy to an opioid, and most of these are side effects. So when you come into the physician's office or the provider's office, you're going to be challenged with a few things. 
you know, and, and this is what you can expect. First of all, and foremost, we're going to need a diagnosis. We have to make a diagnosis. Low back pain is not a diagnosis. That's a symptom. Again, a subheading. Low back pain that's associated with imaging revealing degenerative components in the lower lumbar segments, either at the joints of the back called facets or the discs. Well, that's far more pathological. And I can say degenerative spinal disease, lumbar spine. That's a diagnosis. Okay. That's important because we have to develop a differential diagnosis. Low back pain can be anything. It could be muscular in nature. It can be uh, bony in nature. Certainly, it can have uh, neurological uh, components. It can have neuropathic components, which is kind of the same. It can have mechanical components, arthritic components, kind of the same. It can have all these important um, descriptors. That was the break. Um, <laughs> it's probably... Uh, well, anyway, um, you can have all these descriptors. But what we're trying to develop is a differential diagnosis. Because let me tell you something. Stomach pain that goes to the back in an elderly individual with a low blood pressure um, is something very different in my head when I walk in the room. I'm in the emergency department, say, and I see that, and a pale individual, a little diaphoretic or sweaty, and they've got back pain, horrible back pain. Um, Am I going to get a back x-ray? No. The first thing I'm going to do is determine if this is a, a aortic aneurysm that is dissecting. Um, uh, abdominal exam uh, includes auscultation, percussion, uh, light palpation, um, and uh, understanding, again, the history, cardiovascular disease and the like. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. I'm, that's the differential diagnosis. Where are we at? What's the presentation? And how do we find where we're going? Well, that requires a history and physical. If it's not done in the pain office, that's ick. I mean, it's, it's icky. If you're, like, shuttled in and shuttled out without a good history and physical on your initial evaluation, um, well, I don't know. Is that the right provider for you? Because pain is complex. It requires an understanding of where you've been and probably where you're going. So that takes us to the next step, the natural history of where you're going. It's not just low back pain. It's not just headaches. It's it's not shoulder pain, elbow pain, knee pain. It's the natural history of what you have. So we're working on the diagnosis, and we have to have that before we can even think about a treatment which is the following step. Most people walk in, and I can tell you how many times this happens all week long, is um, I, I'm, here, I'm here to get a new patient. I'm here to get my pain medicine. Why are you here to get your pain medicine? That's, that's like number five on the list, and I don't know you, and I don't, I don't know what you have. We have to work through that. I need records. I have to understand your diagnosis, natural history of where you've been, your family history, uh, surgical history, etc. I think you get the idea. And I do a history and physical. All right. And then um, once we understand what meds you're on, not what meds you need or want, um, we first understand the risk-award benefit. And that's complication with these medications. They're 
they're not straightforward. No medication is straightforward. Um, Tylenol is not straightforward. Most people think over-the-counter meds are just dandy and they're safe. That is not true. Kids think that if it's in the medicine cabinet and it's in a pill bottle, it's safe to take um, vis-a-vis overdose opioid. No, meds, meds have their problems. Uh, treatments have their problems. And so you come down to the next that's the options. Treatment limitations and options are usually reviewed. Although we're in a hurry and we don't go through the long litany, we go through the obvious uh, problems with uh, treatment and the options that uh, we can offer. And that involves informed consent. That'll be a conversation we're going to have on a different day. That's That's a deep subject. But essentially, it's the teacher, me, um, teaching you, the patient, or the family or whom you have as a designate, uh, to help you understand. Some folks have dementia. They, they need help. Or some people just can't remember things. They need help. But there is an understanding on the receiving end that the treatment limitations and options um, and the potential complications exist uh, to this particular, diag- particular diagnosis that we all understand uh, with the differential diagnosis and natural history um, is not lost in the treatment. We talk fast, we move fast, uh, we're intimidating. Uh, We know that, um, and you can slow us down if you need to. It's hard to do that. It's a skill, but you you, you need to say slow down, and that requires a response. I I work on that every day because I'm uh, I'm a little impatient, but... (laughs) I do like talking to people. Once I get in in the zone with the patient, I just love it. And if we find a topic, like today, we were talking about uh, a patient, 67 GTO, uh, that is his, um, well, it's his glory. <laughs> he just retired. He bought that. That's his bucket list. I've been with this guy for over 10 years. Uh, been through the ups, the downs, the sideways. And let me tell you something, that 67 GTO is going to be as therapeutic as anything I gave him. Um, and in fact, he didn't really want any medicine for the first time in a long time because he was okay. I mean, sometimes getting the stress of work and some of the other uh, problems that are multifactorial in a pain practice, just getting them off your back is incredibly therapeutic that is a personality pain that is the true reality of situational anxiety depression uh is finding lifestyle enhancements so um you know it's it's the best part of the day when you connect uh we don't always connect with every patient i mean we're in and out of rooms we have a limited amount of time i apologize for the profession we do the best we can i swear we do the best we can (laughs) um and uh if you know, you get an experienced provider in there, they're very, very good at directing the conversation. So I, I would recommend to you as a patient or even providers that are listening to this, that when you go into a room, you have a script, you have, um, a a fairly well organized, um, momentum that you can establish. That's usually one or two, maybe three questions. I'm telling you, if you come in with a laundry list of questions, uh, it's going to be hard. And it's, 
It's not easy to get through a lot of questions. We can have you back or we can uh, make it a different kind of consultation, uh, maybe a family consultation or something like this if we need to. But uh, pick your pick your best your best bullets and that's where we come to the next um, important um, part of the uh, telling of it of your tale uh, that's number nine <clears throat> the the doctor or provider will have a plan you are now um, informed you understand the treatment limitations and options risk rewards and you understand that uh, we develop a plan with you. And we're not going to be like these TV commercials where you're going to come into the office. Uh, I don't have an office. Uh, I stand at a counter. Um, I literally stand at a counter. And I do not have an office, period. Uh, and uh, I, I do my work there. Um because I'm efficient and I, I don't like sitting in an office. I, I just don't think it's important in a uh, provider's environment to sit in an office away from patients. That's just my philosophy. I've always been that way. Um, and that's probably because I'm an anesthesiologist first and uh, we never really had offices. We, we were always on our feet working. And that's just the way I am. That's my, that's my karma uh, to you. So... Um, when you when we develop a plan uh, and we have benchmarks, we want to make them at three, six, nine, and twelve months. And if we don't hit those benchmarks, we want to know why. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, our uh, best approach is not necessarily throwing a drug that you've been on for the past three years at you, or in many cases, uh, benzodiazepine like Xanax or Valium, which you've been on for ten or twelve years. Uh, right back at you. We have to come up with a better way. Things change. Um, it's If I get a referral and they're on benzodiazepines and they're on opioids, I can tell you federal government does not like that. Um, and that's the CDC guidelines. I didn't make them. Uh, I've been using benzos and opioids uh, together for a long time. I don't like benzos. I don't think they add anything. They certainly don't help you sleep. Okay? They, interf- they interfere with sleep architecture, and that can be a problem. They interfere with memory, and that's a problem in the elderly, in the falls, problems. They're more problems than they're helpful. They do not help sleep. Um, we have better drugs for that. Well, they help my anxiety. I have. Well, the American Psychiatric Association, Canadian Psychiatric Association, and NICE, which is the British system, um, says there's no place in medicine... Uh, for benzos treating anxiety or PTSD. There's just no place, especially sleep. So there you have it. I mean, um, those are some pretty powerful organizations. I've said this before. When I go to the addiction meetings, and it's a big room, 400 people of uh, psychiatrists and uh, addiction folks, and we bring up the the concept of eliminating benzodiazepine, the room erupts. They love it. So, I mean, it, it, you're going to come in and your plan might not match our plan. That doesn't mean that uh, we're contradictory to each other. We have our best interests in mind, yours and mine. I need to help you understand 
by informed consent and reduce the risk reward environment and um, we'll talk so when you come in and you say I need my pain pills well let's look at that all right so it's pretty complex now uh, behind the scenes before we walked into the room we've looked at records like I said we've done what we can we might look at uh, databases um, like the um, uh, uh, local and national databases on controlled substances which we should um, I do um, a uh, offender report I look at criminal backgrounds and uh, that's pretty pretty revealing but you know n- no judgment zone I'm here to help okay uh, I'm a doctor I'm not a criminal justice enforcer so I do have more information though I have to sometimes be very careful Uh, All right, so we're developing a plan, all right? And I'm a specialist, so when you come to me and your referring physician has referred to me, I'm going to give you specialty care. That is not contradictory care. That's another way of thinking. And so let's just work through it. If it doesn't work, you know, you can change directions. It's not a big deal. Um, But safety first. And that is, you know, where we're at for everything is safety first. So we have policies and procedures in place. Um, We have explained consequences through the risk-reward benefits of, um, uh, you know, behavioral variances, uh, noncompliance. We've discussed the fact that we are not a paper environment anymore. We're digital. Um, Do I like that? Uh, Absolutely not. I love holding a chart. I love holding a chart. And that's a story in the chart. And the digital interface is not necessarily a story. It's really very frustrating sometimes. It's, it tends to get cloned from visit to visit. All right, so these are the principles. We're going to give you what you need, not necessarily what you want, but we're going to work together. All right, this is something else people don't quite understand. And, and I'll, be, I'll be clear on this. When you come in and, you know, there's been a very little bit of variance in um, what you should have. You don't have enough pills or um, you didn't get uh, uh, something very important um, done, like you didn't go to physical therapy. You didn't uh, do some of the compliance points that we put in our benchmarks. Um, and you come in and you say, well, I'm just going to be honest with you, Doc. And I'm just, uh, first of all, don't call me Doc. I hate that. Um uh, call me anything else you want. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, I don't care about your honesty. You can be as honest to me as you want. I care about safety. All right? That's an important concept that people rarely understand. Well, what, what do you mean by that? You mean you don't care that um, I'm being honest? Uh, well, I think it's really great you're honest. Uh, I think everybody should be honest, but I want you to be compliant. Please follow directions. We use medications that are, you know, tough to manage. Uh, don't forget the opioid crisis. It's not what you think it is, but it's important to us. Um, and we have to be accountable, uh, yeah, to the community and to you. So we care about safety. Okay. Next, do not expect immediacy. Now, we do a lot of checking. Don't expect your prescription to be at the pharmacy within 10 minutes of seeing us. We're electronic now. It's mandated in our state that controlled substances uh, go through um, 
electronic means. That stuff takes time. And don't call right away, you know. If you're going to need your prescription, plan ahead. It's a, it's a mutual relationship that we had. I do my planning. You should do your planning. Have others help you if that's difficult for you. But multiple phone calls to an office about a controlled substance doesn't go over well. You just please understand that. We're going to get to it. In a, in a pain environment, we understand your anxiety. We really do. And you don't want to be without medicine. And we're going to get to that. But, you know, this is a, a digital age now, and it's complicated. We just don't hand out paper prescriptions anymore, which is good and bad. I miss them, but that's just because of my era. Okay. All right, next bullet is we reserve the right to change directions at any time. And literally, that's for safety. Um things change. Let's just say you have pneumonia, okay? You're of a certain age, you have other comorbidities or the problems, and you're on uh, oxycodone at certain dose X. Well, let me tell you, we got to reduce that dose because you aren't the, strain, uh, the strong bucking individual you used to be. You're, you're diminished in your uh, n- normal physiologic capacity. So, we're going to have to reduce the dose. We're not picking on you. This is safety. Remember, it's all safety. So uh, we'll probably reduce the dose. Uh, we're not uh, trying to cause problems, but there is, um, you know, responsibility we have first do no harm. That's a responsibility. By the way, that's not part of the Hippocratic Oath, by the way. It's, uh, it's commonly thought it was, but it isn't. So, all right, let's, let's round this out. I'm getting close to the grocery store. (laughs) Okay. Five rules. Okay, these are the five rules. Pain is a a description. It's not an entity. Pain doesn't exist. It's a description. It's a personal event. It's a personal feeling. It's a personal experience. Everybody has that experience as a different um, multifactorial presentation. You know, it's, it's a, a bone that's snapped at the ski slope. That's acute pain. That's real pain. That's uh, a very different experience than low back pain that somebody's had for years. Okay? It's an experience and it's a description. Number two, you must have a diagnosis. You must have a diagnosis. All right? Um... Like I, I mentioned, you know, people say, well, my diagnosis is low back pain. I have low back pain, doctor. I need my medicine. Well, it's a, no, that's a description. It's not an entity either. We need to have a diagnosis. So we may need more diagnostic information. And, you know, don't get frustrated. If we want to have information, we want to treat you right. We want to take you to a better place. All right, number three. If you don't believe in the diagnosis, Mr. Practitioner, Mrs. Practitioner, or you think it's entirely psychosomatic, in other words, you don't think it's real, you can't treat it effectively. You've got to refer it out. Got that? So if you don't believe in something and you're trying to treat it, this is for us, uh, you got to refer it out. If a family member 
doesn't believe in your fibromyalgia, doesn't see it because you can't see, touch, feel, or measure it. Same with interstitial cystitis, headaches, I could go on and on. Um, And they are a point of pain for you in a different way because the anxiety that they are evoking by their personal opinions, you gotta you got to avoid that trigger, that stressor. Uh, number four, know thy medications. I pick five categories and five deep. Okay, This is more for a practitioner, but it's good for patients too because patients should know what kind of options they are, what they're getting. I mentioned benzodiazepines and opioids are a problem nowadays. Those are two categories. So benzodiazepines, do you know five? Uh, How about an alternative benzodiazepines? Antidepressants or, I, I know people hate to hear that. I'm not depressed, I don't need that. But they have other clinical uh, utility. Um, no five. How about NSAIDs? How about gabapentinoids like the Lyricas and the Neurontins and that sort of thing? You got to know your drugs. You got to know the depth. And after you know those five in detail for that broad differential diagnosis, I'll learn another five. And so you have choices. Um, for patients, going to Dr. Google is not always the best thing, and reading on Wiki, not always the best thing. Um, if you have a question about a drug, please ask about the drug to those that are informed, that know rule four, because the big, the big one, the you know, the elephant in the room is opioids. Um, there are opioids, and there are safer opioids. Okay, enough said on that. Number five, from a compassionate standpoint, oh yeah, I want to relieve your pain. But from a realistic standpoint, I want to improve your function. We don't look at pain as pain relief. Um, We look at pain as something we manage or improve. Yeah, maybe acute pain is a little different, but we have to manage it. We have to improve your function, your quality of life, restored sleep capacity, your ability to just sit in a car, go grocery shopping, enjoy the grandchildren, that sort of thing. That's the provider's benchmark. You know, looking at those things. Are we making a difference? Do we even count in their life? That's, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Um, All right, well, I'm at Publix and I've got to pick up stuff. Um, I appreciate your uh, comments, and uh, I appreciate you putting up with a podcast in a car. I don't, <laughs> I probably won't do a lot of these because it's, I would guess, not the smartest thing in the world to do, but there's no traffic around here, so. Um, I will uh, get another one out soon and uh, look forward to the new, what, decade, and I'll talk to you soon.